They're not known the for their coffee. If you want the good what coffee. What are they known for? Uh, it's right next to my store. So <laughs> Proximity. When I'm not on my horrific diet, I am eating their three meals a day. They're really good if you, if you really want to just go off the deep end. It's a, um, they do a sausage and peppers mm. where I don't think it's meant to be put on a sandwich, but I'm thinking of, you know, my fond circus memories where, uh, you, you know, used to get sausage and pepper at the circus, not the circus. What do you call it? <laughs> when it's one of those fairs with the carnies and you go oh, like a state fair or something, yeah, or you know, carnival. Um, what's the one that's near St. Rocco's? Rocco's, you know, and, and these pious Catholics are pinning dollars to a statue. Couldn't be more of a graven image, you know. Right. They're pinning dollars to it. Yeah, go ahead. Run down the Catholics. <laughs> sure. Uh, Why not? I mean, um, and we're back. Oh, yeah. And we're back. <laughs> Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads and their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat. And I'm Mike. And, and boy, boy, do, do we, we have, have a show, show for you. you. See, I'm trying to buy into that. <laughs> Today on RMA, Mike and Nat take on the shameful and illegal practice of body brokering and review the new documentary of the same name. That's not a documentary. And Nat takes a fall <laughs> trying to skateboard. All this and more today on RMA. Coming at ya. It's a docudrama. Well, we're, we're, we're reviewing this. It's weird. It's not a true story, though. Can, can I just say I didn't get to the end of it because of my chaos, but I was <laughs> able to take copious notes on the first three okay. quarters of well, it. Well, we'll get to that. So, um, anyway. Yeah, so it's like a documentary. It's Wait. Called- Housekeeping. Housekeeping. We'll get to the documentary. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Drop us a five-star review, please, guys, on the Apple Podcast app. Great reviews will be read on the show. Yes, they will be. Um, Tell us your story by submitting it on middleagesrecovery.com. We actually have a website, and you could be a guest on the show, or we could read your story. We Um, could. We probably will. We, should, we need content. Always we, content. Content is king. Every week we have to do we, this. What we say in, in search engine marketing, what I used to be in, uh, content is king. Content is king. Yeah. Um, it doesn't even have to be great content, really. No, it just has to be ever, something. You, so, you know what I noticed lately uh, along those lines, very quick? Uh, you ever like ask um, Siri or Google or whatever, whatever sort of robot you have in your kitchen um, <laughs> to show you a recipe? Right. Yes. And it brings up the recipe, and then you have to read through like five pages of someone talking about um, the recipe before they actually put the recipe down. And you notice <laughs> yeah. that the paragraphs are just simply larded with search terms. Yeah. You know? Like so, yes, it's, it's, everybody just needs to you know get I, all that shit in there. It's so fucking annoying. And, it really and that's is. that's not what we, when I do search engine marketing when I'm consulting a client or I'm doing something for us. The, the idea, and you always, I always get these clients or other people I'm working with that they want to do that. They think that this is a good idea. We need 3% of um, keyword, you know, saturation. Yeah. Now, I'm of the marketing school that, you know, you, you do want to use your target keyword phrases, mm-hmm. but it has to be done in a natural way because if you get traffic to that page that you're so happy about, the person gets there and it sounds ridiculous. You've right. lost, it's a big waste of time. So yeah. you have to... But you use, get the click, right? You get the click, but... Is that worth, isn't that worth something? N- not as much as it would be if they click. You get the click and... Oh. It's also worth reading. You should do, <laughs> we should do another podcast on uh, SEO optimization. Oh God. <laughs> I would love to uh, delve deeply into that topic, but Anytime. Uh, we do have a full, full larder today. Uh, our schedule is tightly packed. Yes. Do we, um, oh, so we were going to read Jeff's story part two. Part two. We had a little snafu on the, the last one. So yeah, we sorry, posted, Jeff. My um, bad. Yeah, Mike, I don't know. I fucked up the edit. I'm he sorry. Did. He did. And, and the music was too loud. So we posted the first part of Jeff's story on um, our private group. So join our private discussion group Facebook on Facebook. Group. 
um, because it's unsearchable and nobody can hear your screams. Or you could uh, listen last week, if you don't mind, uh, some like Django Reinhardt guitar riffs playing in your ear. It was ear a cool idea. Time. It just kept running. It would. It's got to come in. Yeah, yeah. And fade I, I, I know how it works, okay. and I I, can, I usually get it right. This is my diva somehow that last here. week I was rushed, and you know. <laughs> Okay, so, so... Is this Jeff's story part two? Jeff's story part two. Okay, continue. So uh, you may recall where we left Jeff uh, in part one. Uh, he, got a, he was at his mother's funeral, or on the day of the funeral, he got a call from Child Protective Services that he had failed a dr- another drug test and they were taking his son away. Oops. Ooh, dear. Jeez. Okay, part two. Fast forward to November 1st, 2009. I had been in IOP treatment for about a week. What's IOP treatment? Uh, intensive outpatient. Okay. I was only trying to get my son back so I could get back to my old using life. I was going to IOP three times a week but getting high on heroin and crack at night so I would never look high in my IOP meetings. Strategy. Yeah, I was Strategy. doing stuff like that too. Right. But then I had my results from the drug test that came back and of course I knew I was going to fail. But this is treatment, right? Aren't they here to help us? Little that's rhetorical. You're not uh, supposed uh, to answer that, right? I was thinking like a little (laughs) addict entitlement there. Oh, okay. But uh, anyway, what do I know about this? I was told that I was going to be kicked out. The drug counselor asked my age. I told him 31, and he told me I would never see 40. Uh, He explained to me he had been in the treatment industry for 20 years and has seen many people just like me, unwilling to put in any work, unwilling to participate in the meetings, and this just will not work for me. And for some odd reason, I I felt his words. For the first time, I was truly feeling powerless over my addiction. I knew I wanted a better life. Well, that day, I had to apologize to everyone in the facility for lying to them. Uh, I used to tell everyone I was on Suboxone and I wasn't getting high anymore. Uh, I made a decision to start going to meetings, and I was going to try this thing. Well, that was 11 years ago. I did get my son back from CPS after two years. I was getting drug tested weekly and passing them. I was going daily to daily NA meetings and making new friends. I started working steps with a sponsor. And after four years, I met the girl who I'm going to marry this year. Yay. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. We've now been together for... Sorry. <laughs> I got to use great. them. Yeah, use for, I've now been together for eight years. We're both doing well in our recovery. I will say we both stopped going to NA meetings a couple of years ago. We both felt the same way about it. It's a great program, but it's too much like high school, too much drama and bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Some people love that though. People thrive off drama and bullshit. Absolutely. Makes the world go round. (laughs) We still have many friends in all kinds of recovery programs. We bought our first home almost two years ago. Awesome. And I also own a t-shirt printing business, the House of Garb Custom Printing. Guys, go check them out. They do really good work. They're printing our shirts, in fact. (laughs) Good Um, work. I really meant this to be a short story, but it's really hard to make a short version of a long story. That is true. Thanks, Nat and Mike, for creating this podcast. I relate to both of you so much. Uh, I'm now 43 years old and a, a father of four. Awesome. Much love to all the middle-aged recovery listeners out there. Back at you, Jeff. Much love to you, and, and thanks for uh, sharing your story with us because, you know, that's great. We love to hear stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and one of the coolest things about this whole situation, doing the shirts with Jeff and all of that, is we've finally met uh, somebody like a real person Who's he's he's pretty cool. He's cool. We were like friends. I'm texting back and forth with him, and it's just like I'm like wow, you know. And it's just people I wouldn't have known if if we hadn't done this. It's cool. If you do join the Facebook group, you can see Jeff modeling uh, one of our one of our shirts that he helped create. Sprechen Sie sassy. Do you remember that skit? NSSNL. I could never stay up that late. Um, So yeah, that then that's the other thing. That's the segue. Thank you, Jeff, so much because he's also responsible for. Um, our first run of T-shirts, and I think they're pretty pretty cool. Um, we've, we're sort of figuring out the best way to um, get them out to you and collect money for them and so forth. Um, <laughs> right. I think we're going to do, if we do it, $30 for the shirt because it's almost like a donation to us. <laughs> you know, like we're supporting the show. We'd like to keep doing this. Yes. Um, and it would be cool just to rep, rep the show. Um, so please take, check it out. Send us a message on Facebook. Um, you know, join that private Facebook group. It's really cool. It's the real hardcore listeners, uh, the people who are really listening to the show. And, uh, and it's fun to talk to you guys and, and get your opinions. I wanted to read a few of the posts that we, um, that were, people were talking about the marijuana thing, get some oh, listener yeah. reaction. But I had, I had a really nasty night last night. 
We'll do a, um, we'll do a fo- we'll talk about your nasty night, but we'll do a follow up on that show probably soon because what we yeah. didn't realize is that um, and of course we scooped Dopey on this one because yes, we, we did. <laughs> sorry Dave, <laughs> not on purpose. We, I mean yeah. we got it first. I, it I, was not a rip off. No, we we just decided to do the pot uh, the pot episode, and then the next day, uh, you know, Dopey comes out with the alt recovery uh, marijuana. Medical right. marijuana show. We were like, oops. You I know. think this stuff is in the ether. I think, you know, people, yeah, you know, it's sort of like Carl Jung, Jung's collective unconscious, you know, where the brains are like a receiver of yeah. the soul and the ether. Right. right. And everyone's thinking about weed. So it's coming in and, and it's how, you know, two patents can get filed and this happens at the same yeah. exact time yeah. in completely separate, you know, situations, different countries. So how does that happen? Um, Indra's net, the Buddhists would say. It's like <laughs> diamond in every knot reflecting every other diamond. It's like a big... It's a holographic universe. That's right. Um well, happy St. Patrick's Day. Um, <laughs> so, um, last time I tried to do that, I ended up stepping on Jeff's story for yes. You know, so, so. You know, come on, um, limits, man. so St. Patty's Day. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny because this used to be for drinkers and drug users alike. St. Patty's Day was the number one. Let's get fucked up. And yeah, it was right up there with New Year's Eve, um, Thanksgiving Eve, uh, yeah, Fourth of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day. It's know. a lot of days like yeah. that, apparently. But somehow, when when you're involving the Irish people, it adds an extra kind of <laughs> level of frivolity. Indeed, you know. Um, Leprechauny. I didn't used to go too crazy on St. Patrick's Day. I the, the St. Patrick's Day story I remember the most is I was it was in the middle of the day, St. Patrick's Day. Excuse me, this might be twenty years ago, and I got into this horrific car accident. But I was stone cold sober that day. Wow, which was the, it was crazy because at that time I was using mostly cocaine. I think I was on steroids. I was all jacked up at the time. And uh, I hadn't really gotten into opiates. I was really just on uppers. And uh, but that minute, you know, it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. The uh, what happens is because I'm red green colorblind and I wear glasses to correct it now. But um, if there is a red light, you know, with a tree behind it in, mm. a, in a bright clear day, it vanishes to me because right. the red and the green, I don't see it. Wow. I don't even see the the light. And so I just went right into an intersection. A lady was coming, you know, perpendicular. And I hit her into the, an oncoming car. Oh, Jesus. Um, and I, I was really had PTSD from that. I'm of sure. I, wasn't, yeah. uh, I was shaking in my bed later that night, just lying down. Wow. Uh, that was the first of many horrific accidents. Wow, um, St. Patty's Day memories, man. Yeah, but I'll never forget. I, cause I remember thinking, wow, this happened on St. Patty's Day and I'm not even high. Um, was anyone else drunk in the other cars? No, they were no. just like a family. It no. was like an older woman and this guy. Because sometimes um, it's sort of like uh, it was awful like pinball on St. Patrick's Day out there. Cars, yeah, no, I don't think they, they were. Uh, right. My goodness, but um, I don't know. What about you? Were you a big? Saint? Are you Irish? No, no. You're well, just really white. My, I, I'm I'm everything and nothing at the same time. Uh, you're a mutt. <laughs> well, <laughs> adopt, just like the rest. Of I us. was adopted as a kid, so like my growing up, my adopted family's heritage was Polish on one side and German on the other. Mm. I, I did the twenty three and Me DNA thing a few years ago. Yeah. So uh, mostly German, French, British, Irish. Oh, that makes so, sense. Yeah, there is stuff in there, huh. uh, and Italian. That's interesting. The yeah. being adopted angle. Um, you are the second really seemingly well-adjusted uh, person I've met. Well-adjusted, huh? Yeah. Well, because there's a lot. <laughs> Took of, a while for, from ignorant people. There is a lot of you know you know if something's going on with someone if that person is adopted they'll mm-hmm. immediately say oh well they're adopted right but I'm like I the two people I know and uh, who have were adopted seem to be the the two and this other friend of mine who I knew from college and he's just like in fact you could be brothers I mean you guys actually look very similar Jesus yeah it's weird it's, it's entirely possible imagine <laughs> be so crazy but. He's like one of the most well-adjusted, successful. Wow. Um, so all those years of crack and drinking. No, but you made it through. <laughs> it's true. Um, I, I wouldn't mind doing a show 
or a segment on uh, adoptive uh, people because there there is a much higher rate of suicide and substance abuse among adopted people yeah. and mental health issues. That would be uh, very interesting. There's a whole variety of reasons for that, which are a bit beyond the kin of this week's show, but, yeah. um, huh. you know. Cool. Yeah. Um, but that. Uh, but having said that, so w- what was your uh, St. Paddy's Day, man? Where, where were your typical St. Paddy's Days when you were running and gunning? Uh, they were usually spent. I, I had a particular delight for old man Irish bars. Uh, <laughs> so I used to find the the oldest manish bar that I could find. <laughs> I um, know what you mean. I'd sent you the name of that bar yesterday. Do you remember what it was? The Blarney Stone. The Blarney Stone. There's one near Penn <laughs> oh, Station the in Manhattan. Stone. Yeah, that that was kind of. It's one of those places where you go in and it just. The smell of stale beers is is, yep. is everything, and uh, smoke. You know, and, and the Blarney beer. Stone. Uh, the reason I, I like them also is because they would give out free corned beef sandwiches on St. Patrick's Day. Very good. It was a good corned no, beef. No, it was horrible. It was like, you know, the the fatty end with like the tiny little bit of meat on it that you cut off when you're, yep. sorry, that they would just carve that up and put it on rye bread and <laughs> hand it out to the drunks. And most people didn't know the difference, uh, you know, or, could, or were too drunk. The part, man. Fat is my favorite. Yeah. I don't know. I always remember gristle. There was always gristle involved. Gristle. I mean, I don't have any real distinct memories of St. I mean, Patrick's Day, I, which... You my know, big question was, because this was always an, of interest to me when I was in it, and uh, I would always be interested in what time people started drinking on St. Patty's Day, because you would hear different things. We were from yeah. like, call them up, hey, what are you doing tonight? Tonight, I started, uh, the bar opens at 10 a.m., uh-huh. so the bars open early, and it's an all-day... You just, you just reminded me of probably the last great St. Patrick's Day that I experienced. I was working uh, for a law firm in Brooklyn at the time, and uh, it was a law firm when the partners were Irish. There was a Fegan, a Fanning, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. And so they would bring everybody across to the Irish bar on St. Patrick's Day at 11 a.m. And everyone would, you know, you'd get back from court usually around then. Everybody would go out to the bar. We got shit-faced, and then... Um, spent the afternoon like drinking in the office. And then I would, I, I remember rolling out of the office, meeting some friends at a bar in Union Square and staying out till like midnight. And I mean, it, I mean, I look back at that now and I wonder like, is, how is it physically possible to pour 20 pints of Guinness into your body in, oh like, my God. A, in, a, in a, you know, 12 hour period, but it is entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, I feel like I used to recover. Like I would do two nights of like snorting Ritalin or something and then go to class uh-huh. <laughs> and just yeah. like get through it, go home and crash. Oh, um, that's it. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, fun stuff, I guess. I don't know. But yesterday I just ran around and um, I bought like cupcakes and cookies with, El- with you know, a little St. Uh, Patty's Day shit on them <laughs> for the kids. My I'm, kids had to dress up like um, in green. And this is there's a new trend amongst our um, our children, our little snowflakes. And it's um, just just like for the Elf on the Shelf. Apparently, the kids in my youngest son's grade, they have like on the morning of St. Patrick's Day, some leprechaun has come and done some shenanigans, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I like the word shenanigans. Yeah, shenanigans. And uh, so I, I don't know anything about this. I didn't do it, and um, I never heard of it. And my wife told me, she's like, oh, you know, Max was disappointed because no leprechaun came and played shenanigans on him or something. <laughs> and I said, is that a thing? I'm like, somehow I failed as a father, and I didn't even know it. So, uh, you fathers and mothers out there, next St. Patrick's Day, if you're not already doing this, you got to have a shenanigan, uh, shenanigan making. Can you make a shenanigan? Is uh, it? I don't know. You um, can carve it out of a special wood that only grows outside of Dublin. That's, that's <laughs> interesting. Uh, I had, okay, so my St. Patty's Day was interesting. Um, firstly, things are getting very busy at my store. Which is phenomenal, and it's also horrifying because I was already had my whole post uh, shop owner life planned. I'm finishing college. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go get my master's in social work, and and I'm gonna have some credentials to do a show like this, you know, instead of just um, spewing nonsense. Uh, So I I had this crazy busy day, and then my Irish neighbor, even though it wasn't St. Patty's Day, he every year makes this a really like good corned beef cabbage, but it's like somehow he makes it healthy. It's probably not, but he says it. (laughs) There's no such thing. No, but it's so, it's like juicy. It's moist and, and the cabbage tastes good and ugh, and the potatoes. (laughs) And, um, and so, and he's a big drinker. Um, 
never seen him drunk, but he's always has a beer in his hand, especially mm. in Guinness and Miller High Life. Is he walks around? He's got one of those beer can cozies, right? And so he'll just take one out and grab another Miller High Life. Mm, it's like lighting a cigarette off the last cigarette. And um, and so I'm coming home and telling because they went over to their house because I had to meet a customer. So customers are panicking right now to buy sports stuff because everybody's playing again and nobody has anything. Right. And, um, and that's why that's actually my business model is uh, that's- panic and anxiety, and then <laughs> and then add a little guilt, you know, for like oh we have to shop in town. Right. So panic, anxiety, and guilt. Uh, or is the the three the three pillars that uh, success is built on, and so I get a call from my wife. I'm almost home, and she's on the phone and she says, "Oh, hey, um, could you pick up uh, some Guinness for Brendan?" And um, <laughs> and it was this surreal, like m- my wife asking me to please pick up some alcohol. Right. Like I was. I was listening to her talk, and it was an out-of-body experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, because just obvious reasons. It's been the bane of our existence for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me, merely the mention of me, if I tell her I've got a craving even, you know, it gets her upset. Um, and now here she is. Can you please pick up some beer? And I was just like, but she sounded like, you know, like a, she was a hostage, you know, that it was, you know, <laughs> making right. this call. She's like, cause she can't tell the neighbor knows I don't drink, but he doesn't know why I guess. Right? Yeah. So he wasn't thinking anything of it. Can you have Nat pick up some you beers? Have Nat pick right? up? And she's like, oh uh, yeah. So, um, could you please pick, pick up some Guinness? And I was like, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, okay. And so <laughs> So they wanted me to go to the beer distributor, which is close to my store, but I was already mostly home. On top of that, a guy I used to go to um, outpatient rehab with right. works there. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't go into the beer distributor and like, but I can't, I don't want to be seen <laughs> buying it. Awesome. So I go into the supermarket and still I have this anxiety about buying beer. I'm like, is no, I can buy beer. I'm like, I'm afraid someone will see me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it was so bizarre. You know, is that the first time? Since you've been sober that you bought alcohol? Yeah, since I've been sober. Wow. I don't think... One time I may have gotten a bottle of wine for my wife or something, but right. I don't remember. This may be the first like outright, can you please pick up some beer? Mm. <laughs> you know? Damn. And having to buy well, it. It sounds like you handled it well. I did. I went in, I just... Because they have the self-checkout now, and um, I didn't want to be seen. I, I grabbed two four-packs of the Guinness, and I'm... You know, usually... In the supermarket, I walk very carefully around the alcohol section. Mm-hmm. I deliberately don't walk past it. They have an astonishingly it. large beer selection it in is. the supermarket. Oh, my God. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff. And um, and here I am, you know, just going there, picking up the beer. I'm like, it's okay. I keep having to tell myself, no, no, you're not in trouble. You're not doing this. You know, I right. checked out. I walked into the door. I handed the beer to my friend, and that was it. And that was all there was. Awesome. Now, I also went to the beer distributor yesterday near your, what for? Near your office to, to buy uh, a couple of six packs of non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny. I, I, I go in there and I, and I bought two because one like said dark and the other one said IPA. And uh, it's by this company, Athletic Brewing. Um, that's like they have a bit of a buzz in the NA circles. Pun intended. These days, non-alcoholic, not Narcotics Anonymous. Um, for making um, beer to suit the active, non-intoxicated lifestyle. So, but I, but I was like, well, what if I don't like it, uh, the dark one? Then I should have a different one to drink. So yeah. I bought two, and I'm like, well, doesn't that sound familiar? So I'm walking up with my two, and I think the guy who was working there is he the is guy that you ponytail. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's so a, he, an amazing trumpet player. Is he really? He went to the music school I went to, but he actually graduated from that school. First time I went in there to buy a six pack of NA beer, like six months ago or whatever that he waited on me, he made some comment about, ah, it's cool, man. You know? Like oh yeah. Like so I was like, all right, I figure this guy knows what's what, you know, his thing was marijuana. Mostly. <laughs> you don't say, uh, he, he, he like might've smoked be, a joint or two. For a while day. they were allowed because it, the, my, the final, my final resting place an outpatient was a, a less militant, you know, it was, it was a lot. I mean, for me, it was very militant because I had specific probationary like things. I mm-hmm. um, was not allowed to, for, to cast dirty for anything, but he was in on his own volition, and uh, they he would talk in group about yeah I haven't drank in this many months, but um still trying to you know cut down my marijuana, and I would look at my therapist, and I would just like 
And um, she's just like, oh, no, that's okay. And I give her a hard time about it the next time I had a one-on-one. I'm like, really? It's okay? I mean, I thought this was a pro And I was really pissed, mostly because I was jealous, I think. But I was like, I thought this right. was a program of abstinence. It's a very bad precedent to set where you're saying it's Listen okay. to you. And um, yes. on the high horse. Oh, my horse was high, yeah. all right. It was the highest horse. Not as high as his. Um, no. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. Now you're Mr. Alt Recovery. It's crazy. Uh, alternative. <laughs> um, hey, did your 16-year-old son start a job? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow, we're really hit hewing to the outline this week. Yeah. yeah uh, <clears throat> we we realized that because his grades aren't so great, he's going to need a little boost to get into college. So I figured we should send him to work, but he's lazy and oh, working. I thought you were just going to bribe somebody. Working for someone else is, uh, you know, we were concerned about that because he worked at the crappy Italian restaurant in town for two days. He could work here. You didn't even ask. I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't even think about it. No, that would be a lot less driving, actually, because yeah. this is in Lindenhurst where he has to go. So yeah. I have to drive him there because he can't drive. Anyway. I could talk to the boy about the Catholic Church and how they're evil and so forth. That, yeah. But now that he's part of the Catholic Church, he now rejects it? Well, exactly. I mean, in typical teenage fashion, we had him baptized, and immediately he decided the Pope is the Antichrist, and uh, he's <laughs> discovered that Jesus, uh, the, a more palatable version of Jesus exists in the Protestant faith. Yes, he's right. So I, mean, I sent him, I, I said, listen, agree. you go talk to my friend Nat, who's a deacon in the church, yeah. and he can, so I don't know if he's thinking mainline Protestants like you guys, or oh. the Lutherans, or if he's thinking like the snake, snake handlers and that kind well, of shit, <laughs> right? Because that's what I always think of. We didn't plan that, by the well, way. Well, I actually, just share a brain. I actually sat down and read the entire gospel of uh, Mark the other night, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what he's been reading. Because I gave him my student Bible. I was like, here, you know, this one has like little, it's like annotated. So, yeah. you know, you learn I'm like, go read that. And, uh, and I was like, well, shit, I haven't read that stuff in a while. Maybe I should sit down and read it. And That's a good gospel. It is. It's, I like Mark. I think it's the, it's well written. Uh, the original drafted first people say john but other people say no so i i don't know i don't want to get into the weeds on on theology at the moment but no suffice it to say that you know maybe he'll be knocking on your door looking for i, a, I would be happy you know. to i don't think i've had one conversation with him no so that would be well cool. i've barely had one conversation yeah. with him in the last couple um, of years but anyway so he, he's working at this scuba shop uh my friend who i mentioned on this podcast before who was you know talking about drinking and stuff um Seamus? No, different front. I can't say his name. But um, the, the, the catch is uh, I'm paying him because, because my friend's shop is not like a, a money maker. You know, there's not a lot of money in teaching scuba. Um, or selling sports equipment. <laughs> right. It's a small business, you know. So uh, I am subsidizing the wages. So I'm trying to keep his hours low also. I think that's <laughs> good. Money. I'm just trying to teach him, you Some know, self-reliance and stuff. I'm, I go, I'm, I'm along with that. I like that. I like that. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, what about getting back to work? Is that something you've been thinking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, you really are doing the outline. <laughs> well, we're running one a little long. So I know. I'm sorry. Sure. I'm, I'm just diary of the mouth today. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm getting a little anxious about the world reopening and going back to work and work travel and having to go to uh, conferences and all that stuff. I mean, it's very easy for me to sit in my uh, in my house and not drink, you know. But well, I'm worried about is how is this going to affect the show? <laughs> I'm, I'm a little worried about that, too, um, to be honest with you. I mean, the, um, the we can do one. it on the road. I've, I've done it before, but it's, yeah. yeah I know. If we did that, we have to come up with a better way of recording. Yeah, we might have to shift to, like, weekends doing it on later. Yeah. Well, my favorite... I mean, what else do you do Saturday night? I go to bed at, like, yeah. 9 o'clock, so... Yeah, uh, I'm hostage by my kids. I am, like, Oh, yeah, you, your kids are younger. I'm my kids typically don't want anything to do with me. So. And, and then we could talk... I mean, we had such a night last night, but... Um, yeah. Um, and you, you said you sent me this article too, and you're just like last minute. I want to talk about this article, so I've gone ahead and um, and put it in the outline. And yeah, which it's a uh, off the charts rise in alcoholic liver disease among young women. Yeah, I was uh, I was just sitting on the couch last night and uh, got got a notification from NPR and apparently uh, National Public Radio, and I also heard it on or saw it on the Times this morning. Um, wants to all of a sudden discuss about how the incessant pushing alcohol on uh, people is now bad for them. <laughs> uh, uh, they've decided that finally. Yeah, Good. I, I mean, so it talks about 
women in thirty in their thirties are being diagnosed with uh, cirrhosis and alcoholic hepatitis. And and um, you know, Aaron Moore touched on this a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing you know the pinkening of of the alcohol um, marketing campaigns and whatnot. And uh, but it's it's really crazy um, how in the last year with the pandemic. Um, alcoholic liver disease is up 30 percent oh man um you know and you know but then but then at the end they they couch it and they say drinking a glass or two of wine even every day is unlikely to cause this sort of liver damage and many people the experts say although it's possible though it's possible (laughs) well so that's not the best research smoking three cigarettes a day is unlikely to cause lung cancer but you know it might it might it might so yeah so I don't know what, what... Well, this is clearly an alcoholic writing this who's looking for excuses why this isn't unhealthy or something yeah. like that. I mean, I, you know, it, it just struck me as really weird that the, that the story is like 30% rise and then they, they it seems like they um, go out of their way to sort of say, well, you know, you, don't want, you shouldn't stop drinking entirely, right? I mean, like it says, the pathway, pathway to that sort of liver disease uh, varies from person to person and can be exacerbated by obesity, genetic factors, and unlying health problems. It's, I mean, can you imagine if they were saying stuff like that about cigarettes, like, you know, or, or anything else that's, yeah. you know, or like small amounts of like environmental toxins. <laughs> but no, it's alcohol. Yeah, so it's have just, at it, man. It's a little mercury in your salmon, yeah. but. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know. It just, it popped up and. Uh, so I, let's I, put a link to it in the show I'm notes. I'm going to put a link to the, and, in the show um, notes. And you can see what, uh, what was going through his mind. Um, yeah. Okay. I think it's time to get to our main topic. Yes. Um, so today we wanted to review a documentary slash with fictional vignettes, I guess you could call it. What well, do you I think the whole thing was a drama. It was a well, scripted and acted um Yeah, but it's first it's like documentary thing where they give you, you know, facts about very brief though. And then there's the fictional vignette. Right. And then they interrupt it once in the middle with the right. whole slew of facts which we're going to discuss. It's called Body Brokers. It's written and directed by John Swab. And the Is John uh, Swab recently on another podcast. Yeah, so plug. I have to say that I completely got this from Amy Dresner and Joe Shrank's uh, podcast. It's called Rehab Confidential. I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of those two. And uh, I was listening to their new show, and I heard this guy. He was interviewed, and I thought, oh man, because I thought I knew every addiction movie. That's possibly out. But this one, uh, the description is online. A drug addict is brought to Los Angeles for treatment who soon learns the treatment center is not meant to help people, but instead a cover-up That's an, for a fraud operation enlisting addicts to recruit other addicts. Um, it's, all, it's got do a very Sid and Nancy, Bonnie and Clyde thing going on. Do you think that description is really accurate? I mean... I don't know. That's, I just copy and pasted it, so... yeah. It was rushing. Um, they're on the run. They're big. There's these, this couple. It's um, her name is uh, Opal. Opal, and he's she's played by Alice Englert, who apparently is Australian. I oh. would never have guessed because wow. she doesn't do the accent. And uh, Jack uh, Kilmer, who plays uh, Utah, her boyfriend. They call him Utah. Yeah. And uh, they're basically on the run in, I guess it's Florida. Where all this stuff uh, happens. Ohio. Oh, they're in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of like Florida, but. Uh, and then, so they're beg borrowing and stealing. They're on pretty much. They, it starts off. They're robbing a convenience store. All mm-hmm. of this to pay to to pay their uh, to get more drugs, heroin mostly, crack. Yeah. Um. See, typical addict lifestyle. Living in a CD motel. Uh. You know, she's turning the occasional trick yeah. for uh, heroin. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And so they encounter filling, filling in details. And so somehow I must have missed it, but they encounter the guy who played Omar on The Wire, Michael Kenneth Williams. Thank you. I just call him a Omar. fellow by the name of Wood. I'm so glad you did the actual research. <laughs> I did it this morning. <laughs> oh, great. I mean, I watched the movie yesterday. <laughs> yeah, and um, and so he's basically he comes off as he's trying to help. He gets the, he offers them food. You know, let me feed you. I'm just trying to help. This is not a religious thing. He keeps reassuring them. And boy, is it not a religious thing. Uh, and basically, he's like, I can help you. You guys should get into treatment. He's saying all the right things. Right. And the girl doesn't want to go for it at first, but the boy goes along with it. Yeah. And then what happens? Um, so he, gets, he goes to the intake. Omar sets him up. Right. Gets him in. And uh, he soon learns that 
other addicts he meets at this place, this is his first time, they're actually getting paid by um, Omar. I keep calling him Omar. What's his His name is Wood. Wood. Uh, So that he's getting paid by Wood to actually go to rehab. And so once um, Utah, it comes to like figures out what's going on, like he's definitely struggles with it, you know, inside. Mm. You can tell he's struggling with it, but he sees, he sees Wood um, living this life. And Wood's like, yo man, it's, you get this cut and it sort of, it pulls back the, it pulls down the veil over what is going on in the uh, rehab industry. So Wood's got this really swanky place on like, uh, looks like it's in Malibu overlooking the ocean out there in LA. And, uh, um, you know, and the, and the rehab center is not like some rinky dink little place. I mean, this is clearly uh, set, set forth as like one of these Malibu, like, yeah, you know, rehab, you know, beautiful, nice swimming pool. Um, you know, you contrast that with the way the movie opened where they're sort of scrounging around in Ohio and like, it's kind of, it's gross. And, you know, all of a sudden he's in this sun dappled, um, you know, room going through group therapy with, yeah. you know, everyone's very, very clean and polished. And the, you know, the, uh, the therapists are, are all very nice and, and, um, you know, compassionate. And, uh, so, you know, it seems like there is some therapy being done there. Oh, and, yeah. And, and the the kid way got that, 90 days sober. Yeah. And the way that they portrayed the therapist was as an extremely sympathetic uh, person as well as the intake person. And, and you were going to talk about the intake interview because that was that made an impression on me. And I've never been to an intake oh my interview. God. But, I, but man... I've sat I, through a few. Yeah. It was, it was, that was a pretty interesting uh, to see. So these intake interviews, um, anytime you are a new patient and an outpatient or inpatient rehab, um, you have to sit there with a therapist and you do what's called the intake. And, and the intake is basically you are telling your whole story, how much you did, how much you wanted to do, you know, all the way back. So you're basically sitting there and telling this person you just met uh, everything. And um, I can't remember if my first couple where I, would I lied about stuff, but by the time... I got to the final um, time I was in rehab. I was very honest at this intake. And, um, and I just remember <laughs> having to go back to these intake interviews and just going, oh, I have to yeah. do this again. Um, and, then, uh, and then he gets in. I mean, but they, they show it's very realistic. So, yeah, once he's in for a little while, the, uh, the documentary um, part of the thing kind of drops back in. And um, they start talking about how much money you can make doing, or these, these facilities make, and the owners of these facilities make um, by um, doing certain things. So they, they send um, the patients out for uh, urine tests, so the urine test that they give people a couple times a week, um, up to well, five times. The big, the big thing in the background here was when the Affordable Care Act was passed in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. It led to um, required insurance reimbursement for drug treatments and rehabs. So, um, so if an addict had insurance, great. If they didn't have insurance, uh, a company like the one that that Wood worked for would add them as an employee, so they would be eligible for uh, insurance under um, the Affordable Care Act, sign them up, and then bill that insurance. Yeah. So um, there were no, as we all know, there were no cost controls put on um, the Affordable Care Act. So back to the piss tests. Uh, they Yellow would test, gold. Yeah, they tested people like four times a week and or five times a week at $2,000 a piss test is what they would bill these insurance companies and, for. And this is where the documentary aspect comes in. Like after they show a little bit of you know, action with what the kids are up to, then it cuts to like a documentary and they tell you things like, um, uh, you know, each cup of piss makes them $2,000, we just said, and the right. addicts can be tested up to five times a week. It's $10,000 per week. Yeah, then there's three phases of uh, rehab and recovery that they make their money on. Um, the f- following is how much they bill. This is what I wrote, uh, the insurance for each service. A medical detox. And this is when you first go in I've been through a mm-hmm. few of these and it's exactly like it sounds. You're in a hospital bed, you know, you're detoxed with detoxification medications that give you like benzos. Uh, they might give you Ativan. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they give you something for visceral to sleep and they give you something else to just get relaxed a little bit. Right. Um, your blood pressure medications, sometimes they'll, they'll supplement a couple of days with like methadone and just taper you off within mm-hmm. a couple of days. Um, and they, they get, uh, and they get $4,000 per day for each day that the uh, patient is in medical detox, detox, meaning the rehab bills insurance bills the insurance for each day that person is in the hospital detox, $4,000. And insurance pays. That can be seven to 10 days. The next is the residential treatment. So you detox, and then they usually have a partner or it's in the same facility, and you go to the, like what we think of as a 28-day program, except, you know, they usually keep you longer if they can. And some insurances would pay up to 60 days, and it's $2,000 average per day. If they had that that one girl who had been there for nine months. Yeah. Can you imagine how much money to, they were making? I met people, her? I met people in rehabs at LICR. There was a guy staying there. He had to stay for a year and it's because he cut some deal with, uh, the judge, right. instead of jail time, he would stay there for a year. But a year at $2,000 a day. So it's That's because not, it's he like has insurance. Dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so that's $2,000 a day for 2,000 years. After your 60 days, if you make it through, you do outpatient. You heard us talking about outpatient earlier. Um, this is a, a step down in intensity. You get to stay usually and they didn't talk about sober house and how people make money on a sober house. Because on top of all this, right. you usually have a sober house that's owned and operated by the rehab, where you will stay with other addicts and you pay, usually it's about $500 a week they pay. And insurance doesn't usually cover that. Mm. So while you're staying there, you come back five to seven days a week to go to group. Usually it's intensive outpatient, which is uh, three hours, three times a week. And on top of that, you have your individual session. They don't talk about that in the movie that you also pay for. And if you, so the total uh, at $2,500 per day for 90 days is about 300 grand per addict per 90 days. Now, if you had the place that he was talking about had 60 beds, it came to 18 million per quarter and 17, 72 million per year. That, per that explains why, uh, why every, everybody was driving around and, uh, uh, Porsches and whatnot. Um, Frank Grillo played the uh, guy Vin, who was the owner of this particular rehab, who is basically the sle- sleaziest. Great character, by the way. I used but, to be an addict. Yeah, now I'm not. Yeah, that guy. totally sleazy, uh, sleazy guy. Do you think these numbers are exaggerated for effect? Because I, I mean, no. That amount of money will get you, you know, top line treatment in one of these fancy Malibu places. But I can't imagine, like, like if you're treating somebody in some shithole in the inner city somewhere they still bill insurance they're still billing them that much money the the issue comes when the addicts have no insurance and that was where that movie american relapse Mm -hmm. with um frankie from the fuck heroin foundation and um ali severino i'm gonna have to watch that it's really interesting and also there's a documentary series about those two called dope sick nation which is a must watch everybody please watch it. it's so good i've watched a thousand times Hmm. it's edgier than intervention but it's really about uh, Frankie and Ali Severino are quote unquote body brokers. Okay. But they're doing it, they're doing it for people. Like they say that they're fighting against all of this corruption. Because right. I was, when I was watching it, I was thinking there must be places that do this ethically. Right. You know, and, like, and make money. Yeah. Because <laughs> can't you do both? You can. And that's what Ali Severino and, and Frankie, yeah. uh, Frankie tried to do. And that's what they followed them around where they would have their usual patients that they, they helped to get into rehab right. um, where they would make money, but they would also go out of their way to find, because they would get scholarships for yeah, these see. addicts mm-hmm. that just don't have anybody. But, you know, they're still dipping into that insurance gold mine. Now, they, these people who, who are being, um, you know, exposed in this documentary, um, they are really at least portrayed like evil villains you know well, they, they seem like boiler room wall street type guys right it it's reminded just, me of wolf of wall street yeah. but the real thing and i didn't finish watching it but i got to the part where they were talking about that surgeon now, okay so so let me let me f- fill in a couple gaps here yeah. so so what happened was that utah after he gets his 90-day chip uh inside the rehab decides that uh well um what's his name wood starts to kind of 
gently recruiting him to work with him. He gets him a weekend pass. They go to the carnival. They're walking around, and he says, listen, you know, why don't you come and work for me? And Utah at this point doesn't really know what he does other than, you know, finds people and brings them to rehab. So the next big chunk of the movie is Utah sort of getting involved with this group uh, this company, they're 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 uh, disguised as like a marketing company, yeah. where um, you know he helps Wood go and body broker. Like he'll go, like and and there's this whole network set up. There's like a a house that's run by this woman who's also selling heroin and cocaine, and she brings addicts to the table, and then they go in and give money, uh, give the addict yep. a little bit of money to keep them in drugs for a couple of days before they go to rehab. Then they pay two thousand dollars per person because they know the addict they know they're gonna get half of whatever the the rehab gets yeah which is like nine grand yeah so um so that's utah is getting involved in all of that stuff and then apparently um there's something called a a naltrexone implant Ah. which became popular a few years ago apparently and this is another way that these guys figured out how to make money so what they did was they found a dodgy surgeon who Mm -hmm. is you know morally compromised in some way he's a famous actor too i know yeah he was a creepy looking guy man he looked like he could play a nazi (laughs) (laughs) pretty 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 well um i think he has has he really yeah so um so if you're on the street, uh, they would round you up. Uh, and they get $60,000. 60000 per surgery. Imp- per surgery, right. right? So they would round up vans full of these guys. And the doctor said, you know, I can do 20 a day. And then at some, somewhere on the back end, these things are going to have to come out. So, I'll, you know, I'll get, we'll get paid coming and going. So Utah drives the van. He, he rounds up all these addicts, offers them. I don't know how much money he's paying them, but it's not a lot of money. It's a, he, well, and into an addict, it's a couple grand is a life saver, a right. life changer. Right. Uh, they have to stay. I mean, the catch is, and he says this, and I don't know how this plays out in the movie, but he says like, you don't get paid if you don't stay the full stay at the right. rehab. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that right there is a problem for most addicts. Yes. But the ones who, keep, are, they call them lifers, who just keep going in and out, keep making money. Um, and, and that's their whole shtick. But the surgery thing takes it to a whole new level yeah. of evil. Right. Um, the way I see it. I don't know how much I want to give away about what happens with the doctor and what happens at the end of the movie, since you haven't seen it, and chances are a lot of our listeners haven't but seen it But they all die or something. I mean, well, somebody I dies like of I an said, overdose. I don't want sure. to. <laughs> or somebody dies on the table getting the surgery. Yeah. Now, the naltrexone implant is sounds like a great fucking idea, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I would have done that because I got the, the Vivitrol naltrexone shot, right. which is it, great. Except... Um, well, so there's this whole back drama going on with uh, Utah and, and Opal, his girl, who has now been brought out there by Wood to uh, participate in rehab out in California. Uh, she got paid to go out there, of course. And um, yeah, but yeah, he does get the girlfriend to to join up, right? Except that she's not really in it for the recovery. She's kind of in it for the for the money, right? So she gets in the she's she gets in the van to go get the implant. And he sees her and he's like, what are you doing? You know, you're high. You shouldn't be. She's like, wake up, Utah. Everybody in this van is high right now. Who's going to get the surgery? Yeah. And and she goes, and don't worry. I got some guy who'll take it out later for a couple of hundred bucks. And yeah. Like, and they said that when they're meeting with the surgeon. I mean, it's it's so icky. Like there's one scene where uh, Utah and Wood are going to speak to uh, the mother of an addict. Right. And this is one of the first things because they have to go in and you know, because usually it's the parents' insurance that they're billing, right? Even though it's a twenty-five-year-old kid or something like that. Or you can be on your parents' insurance till you're twenty-six. You know. Under, and the way they flip and just look empathetic and sound empathetic, yeah. like they're trying to help, they're just acting so it's crazy. And then when he they leave the house, you see Wood gets on the phone, and um, and they said something like, he said, well, how'd it go? He goes, they got insurance. Oh, great. And he's like, not only that, husband's in a union. They're like, booyah. Yeah, high fives. High fives. Around. You know, because that, that'll be endless. You know, I knew so many people in unions and rehabs. Yeah. I mean, they just keep sending them back um, over yeah. and over. I mean, I know a guy in a union won't say, uh, you know who you are, uh, went four times wow. to an expensive Pennsylvania rehab. And all on the, uh, the all union. All on the, fun, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and outpatient and everything. So, 
I thought it was a good movie. Um, would I enjoyed you recommend it. it to all your friends? I would. Well, any of them who just want to cry in their coffee after watching it, but uh, um, I will say, like some some parts annoyed me. Like um, you know, Utah decides to leave rehab after ninety days. Um, he starts uh, a relationship with the intake nurse. Mm. who uh, checked him in and uh, you know, she's like, I'm not allowed to see people for, for two years. But if I happen, if you happen to find yourself on the corner of this street and this street tomorrow night at 7 PM, I'll be there. So he goes and it's like her, like getting him to an AA meeting or an NA meeting. So he goes to the NA meeting. Right. They show some meetings. Yeah. He he listens to them because, because he wasn't going to any meetings after he, after he left rehab. Right. Mm. So she takes him to that one and the guy gets up there and basically tells his story you know, very Mm. similar. And so he, you know, goes up to him after the meeting and says, you know, man, you just told me my story. Thanks. He's like, yeah, keep coming back. And of course, Utah doesn't come back. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, things happen to Utah. So the, the not so subtle message is that, um, if you don't have a program, bad things are going to happen to you. And there's a lot of truth to that. Absolutely. Is there? Yeah. You got a program. I got to get a program. You got to get a program hmm. and he's got to get a program and she's got to well, get a program. Well, she said something like, oh, and he's like, no, I'm not going to me's. And she's like, oh, just willpower, huh? You know, and yeah. I'm thinking, well, maybe not. You know, maybe he read This Naked Mind or <laughs> who knows what, you know, what his program was. But um, yeah, so he, you know, I don't know. He doesn't, things don't end well. Let's things just put it that end way. Well. Um, suffice it to say, um, if you're interested in addiction and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are in addiction issues. This is this is a must watch. On top of that, I would recommend watching. It's called The Business of Recovery. Uh, it's also available on Amazon somewhere. Um, we'll provide links for you guys to purchase or rent these movies. Um, if you do it through our link, it helps us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so please look for that link. And we look forward to hearing your opinions of this on the, uh, the Facebook group. You know, sign up. Uh, it's easy to find us on Facebook, Recovery in the Middle Ages, uh, in the search and find the private group, apply, and we, if you are a good person, we will let you in. <laughs> and you can talk to us. I, I let people in who don't even answer the questions. Right. You know? Yeah. Oh, really? Really? You're not supposed to. We're yeah. just happy. We've got 299 people and I'm starting to see a buzz on there. People are beginning to respond to me when but I Don't say, cause trouble. No, no trouble. I had to throw out a couple of people already. Yeah, there's no dicks allowed. Yeah. Um, people who are judgy and dicky, um, no, no, I don't want to hear yeah. from you. I don't like you. Um, <laughs> so that is our movie review. Yes. For today. Yay. Um, if you liked it, uh, let us know because we'll do more of them. Yeah, there's an, a Sound of Metal is up for an Academy Award. And um, I've already watched that. It's a, another fictional movie about uh, a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing and at the same time, he becomes deaf. He actually join, you know, goes to a rehab for um, uh, people who can't hear. Hmm. And then they teach them recovery and how to, how to speak with sign language and read Braille. Wow. And it's about his journey, and it's getting a lot of buzz. It is very good. That um, was just recommended to me after I little, watched the other movie. It's anticlimactic, I'll say that. Um, it's not like your typical hero's journey, okay. uh, which is annoying. <laughs> um, and that is our movie review. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, we don't have music. I don't know. Maybe I'll come up with something. Uh, so we were talking earlier this week. The show's going long, guys, so uh, strap in. Um, right. It's 52. Fit, five, two. 52 minutes so far. Recovering the news or storytelling? Uh, nah, recovering the news. Right? All right. So, recovering the news this week is um, more of a theme than it is isn't a specific story, although there is a specific story that goes specific. with it. Specific. specific. Stop. Specific. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so, the overarching topic is uh, why it's dangerous to talk about sobriety as a wellness trend. Isn't that the title of the article? Okay. I put it there. I don't know. Okay. Hold I on. sent you a link, but I didn't actually look at the Forget rhubarb gin and... Rose all day. Come January, it seems like all the cool kids are sober. The New York Times has written before about the new sobriety, highlighting the waves of people ditching booze for the sake of their health, not because they have an issue with alcohol. On the face of it, on the face of it, sobriety slots in neatly 
slots in. That's a horrible way of saying that. Sobriety slots in neatly alongside other wellness trends like meditation apps, Reiki, and eating raw foods for breakfast. I just like reading stuff for Who the eats news. raw food for breakfast? Um, what does that mean? I think raw, I've heard of this. Sushi? Nah, like, like vegetables that you pick off the tree and just eat like a rabbit. <laughs> like rabbits have like a... That's a trend? Yeah, raw. I'm, I'm old. You I mean, I, under, I know... Raw vegan is I know is about thing. raw vegan, but... So that's what it means. Couldn't you say that differently than eating raw food for breakfast? <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> anyway, I mean, it's 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 sheknows.com. I don't know what She knows. Um, what does she know? Sorry, keep going. Uh, I wasn't... Well, people write books about it that aren't addiction memoirs based on horror stories of blackouts and absconding from rehab. Sober Instagram influences... Influencers. Influencers boast thousands of followers, including regular drinkers and the sober curious. Uh, Alcohol-free bars, we've been talking about this, like Listen Bar in New York City and Sands Bar in Texas are popping up all over the place. And hipsters are hanging out there. Right. Let's not forget. That's it. That's important, because if the hipsters are there, it must be cool. I, I mean, I think the idea is great. Me too. No one can deny that giving up or at least cutting down on booze is a major positive. It boosts your immune system. It improves your cardiovascular health. And liver health decreases your risk of cancer and even helps your brain work better. Not this writer's apparently, but that's another issue. So more sobriety is talked about. The more people take the plunge and switch cocktails for mocktails, the more good it's doing on a large scale. Um, so what's the problem, Nat? Why is that a problem? I think it's great that there's other options for us who, people who don't want to drink. What? Like a cool I, I place agree to hang. too, but, but I've... I've what what there, problem There's another you? article that I, I read that somebody... Said, well, you can't treat people that have just quitting drinking the same as people who are addicted to alcohol or have like well, that's uh, our addiction or who are spectrum. a quote alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, I disagree. I think uh, any movement towards um, stopping the use of alcohol is great, and I don't think you need to hit your rock bottom before you decide that quitting drinking is a, a positive thing in your life. No, but what does that have to do with having a cool place to hang out that doesn't have drinking? It's nothing but uh, I, there was controversy. Controversy. <laughs> and that, because actually there were two articles that I had. Oh, I didn't put them the both The second in. one was, was a criticism of this sober, curious, sober movie. Oh, I see. So, so, so article one, this is my fault. Um, article one was about how cool it is to have these hipster bars that are just like kava kava, um, non-alcoholic beer, if you, if you will, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Kratom drinks, and this is popping up. And then the other article was criticizing this movement. Yeah, I mean, basically the argument is that by describing sobriety as a wellness trend, there's a danger of making light of uh, the difficult realities faced by many sober people who identify as alcoholics or alcohol use disorder who simply recognize... Uh, that their relationship with alcohol was becoming negative in their lives. I don't care how you get people to stop drinking. (laughs) Me either. I don't see why we need a division between the people who want to stop drinking because they have realized before they, you know, hit the bottom that it's something that they need to get rid of from their lives and the other people who took it a little further and, you know. Yeah, I'm more along the lines of thought that I think it's no matter how or who you're getting to not drink, you know, not, not to like proselytize and be a dick about it to other people, but like any kind of thing like that where it's making it easy for people to have fun without drinking, I think is a great thing. Um, I agree. And, and things that are counter to that, like in, in this pandemic, we have drive through fucking tequila slushies in, in town. Right. Like that, I, I don't like that. I don't think it's a positive change. There's no good that can come from that. No. And uh, it hasn't. No good has come from it. If any, if the pandemic has done anything, it's it's normalized excessive drinking even yeah. more than it was before. And I'm hoping, though, that all of this pain and sorrow and overdoses and people discovering this in their lives because a lot of people are realizing that they have a drinking problem. That may be the silver lining is that now people are talking more about mental health than ever before um, because everybody's suffering with it. Almost everybody is having some kind of distress related to this pandemic. And, uh, and I'm seeing more and more on the news and, and newspapers are talking about it, yes. saying like, hey, we need to do something about your mental health. It doesn't mean you're crazy. Um, and I think that's great. You can see the, 
the backlash against the pandemic drinking starting now. Yeah. Um, you know, I have those Google reminders set for... And when uh, an article comes out? Yeah, addiction, 12-step, um, alcoholism, and... Um, Did you put our podcast name in it in case there's an article about I us? I should. I should. <sighs> yes, we, definitely do yeah. that. Um, but what I've noticed over the last few months... Um, is that the amount of articles on the dangers of pandemic drinking have increased quite a bit. So I think people are starting to say, wait a minute, you know, now that we're coming out of this, you know, there's, there's people who are not going to be able to ratchet down the drinking that they ratcheted up. um, And not not to mention the damage that has been done to your, um, to your health just by drinking that much. Right. You know, we don't know if that's all reversible. You know? Right. I mean, a lot of it is the body hope. does heal. <laughs> we, we, I certainly hope it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Because we didn't. But um, anyway, so is if you, have, you guys have thoughts on that, on, on. Yeah, let's know, talk if, about it. Should there be, uh, you know, alcoholic versus like a sober I, curious cage match, death yeah, match, or, or we should, can't we all just get along? You what know? do we think about all this <laughs> nomenclature? It's, uh, I don't know. Recovery in the news. That's it. So, Nat, I don't think this week's uh, Week in Weird is very surprising. Um, week in Weird. Amityville horror killer Ronald DeFeo Jr. dies in state custody. Records show. Ronald DeFeo Jr., who massacred his family in 1974 in their Amityville home while they slept, a case that gained national attention and spawned multiple books and movies died Friday while imprisoned, according to state prison uh, records. DeFeo, 69, was serving a 25 years to life sentence at the Sullivan Correctional Facility at, at an upstate Fallsburg, at upstate Fallsburg for each of his six slayings. Records show. Um, this is the, if you don't know what this is, there is a ton of um, horror movies based on this because it's believed by those of us who know that um, he was possessed by a demon. And in fact, that's what he blamed it on. And that there was serious you know, hauntings um, for years after in that house that, that were reported. I think, think uh, Elaine and um, the Warren uh, married couple, I can't think of, uh, the Warrens were famously, you know, um, went there to investigate it. They've mm. made movies about it. And so him passing away, it just reminded us all about the Amityville horror, which took place nearby us on Long Island. Yes. Uh, actually the people that bought the house after the murders, the Lutz family, uh, yeah. they had to flee uh, after a month, I think, in the house because they heard uh, doors being slammed yep. and, yep. you know, strange noises at night and yes. everything. It's a and real deal, man. I don't know what your experience was with the Amityville Horror House, but when I was in high school, my friends and I used to <laughs> used to drive down to it yep. and pee on the front lawn after <laughs> drinking beer. So that, that It is know, a local legend yes, by us. That um, was, they, they, they got so much trouble uh, from people doing stuff like that, that they changed the windows yeah. in the attic. Because it had those remember? famous windows, yeah, you yeah. know? So, so uh, look for that article in the show notes, and that is Week and Weird. Well, that about does it for us today. Nice, long show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> it's actually shorter than... Is it really? Yeah. See, we're trying to do long shows, and then we, we rush. Um, thanks so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Join the discussion on our exclusive and private Facebook group. Uh, if you need to talk, don't hesitate to reach out to us, and some of you are, and it, it's great. I love to chat with the people who are listening and you know, uh, and all of that. So check out the show notes, too. Um, Mike works very hard on those. You can get us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Tweet us a twat, you twit. Apple Podcasts and wherever fine podcasts are sold, five stars review. <laughs> five star reviews will be read on air. And we will see you next time. See you next time. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention. Yes. Just apropos of, I know you're wrapping up. You, you're it's looking okay. at me like you I've got the wrap punch up. me right Look, No, it's fine. Keep um, We are not therapists. Yes. And we are not uh, recovery counselors uh so a couple people have sent us uh messages on facebook we we we, uh indicating that they were in some sort of extreme extremis and needed some help we are happy to point you in the right direction of things that you can do and numbers to call but um it's a little beyond our ability uh we're just a couple of 
you know, yeah. buffoons. <laughs> reach out. Podcast. Right. Um, reach out to us you know. like you would someone else in the program just for support. Yeah, exactly. And That's as, all I wanted to say. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's progress, not perfection. Oh, be good. <laughs> See you next time. Yeah.